Hallelujah. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, and Shabbat Shalom. We come to you live, amazing, even with technical difficulties, this Shabbat. I'm blessed to be here. Let's dig right in to scroll five of Ezekiel. Scroll five. This is going to be a multi-part scroll just because this is a heavenly vision that the prophet gives the elders, and this is a heavenly vision that we're going to get to see today. It comes to us from, traditionally, Yehezkel, Ezekiel chapter 26, verse 1, and it extends through Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 26. Now, this is a proclamation against Tyre and its king. Now, the king of Tyre, as we will see in a few verses once we get into Ezekiel 28, is also used as a metaphor for Satan. A metaphor for Satan, but it does bring a future blessing. But our war is not against flesh and blood, but principalities. So we're going to go into the throne room today. We're going to go into the heavenly realm because this is where the prophet's taken us. Because he sees and he has pierced the veil. So over the next few weeks, I hope, I pray that we're going to be unraveling the prophetic mystery of Ezekiel's fifth vision. Remember, this was a vision. He had a divine vision from Yahuwah, and he is having access into the heavenly spiritual realm and delivering the message to a stiff-necked, rebellious people that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. We're going to, going to be focusing on the heavenly realm outlined in particularly the section of the vision is Ezekiel 28. But today, today, I want to focus on four things in particular. Number one, I believe that there was a prior creation. Number two, I believe that there was an atoning sacrifice from the foundation of the world. It was already in place by the time Yahusha got to the tree. It was an atoning sacrifice from the foundation of the world. And that there is, thirdly, spiritual warfare Yahweh versus the gods. Now, some people get all freaked out when I say that, but just read Psalm 82. Yahweh versus the gods. There is a problem that people don't understand the Hebrew word Elohim, no disrespect, but this is talking about disembodied spirits. Elohim in the Hebrew is a word for a disembodied spirit. That's what it is. It doesn't necessarily just mean the creator Elohim. There is only one creator Elohim and his name is Yahweh. But what we're seeing right now is that there is an amazing revelation coming on. And fourthly, we're going to see the seven demonic trafficking ports in people's hearts that have prevented them from seeing the freedom and blessing that they could have actually had as sin does distort truth, does it not? Sin can distort truth. So we're going to start off, not actually in Ezekiel, but in Bereshit, in Genesis, in Genesis. Now, think of the English word Genesis. What does it have in it? It's, it's similar to generation. It's similar to genetics, gene, to begin, general, or even gender. Because in our English language, they all have the GN origin, the GN origin. 
And the GN actually determines the beginning of something. This connects back to the Garden of Eden, which is a Gimel Nun Sophie, or as we say in the Hebrew, Gan Eden. Gan Eden. So turn with me to Genesis Bereshit chapter 1. Genesis Bereshit chapter 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Is there a gap? And the earth came Hayah. The Hebrew word there is Hayah. And it means to be formless, Tohu, and void, Bohu. And darkness was on the face of the earth. And the spirit, or the Ruach of Elohim, was moving on the face of the waters. So, if you look at that text, Elohim, Bereshit, in the beginning, means in eternity past. In eternity past. And Elohim means mighty ones. It's actually in the plural. Which tells us that more than one entity was involved in the creation of the universe. And people gasp. (gasps) Mighty ones. It's a plurality of power. A plurality of power. Created. Bara means to bring into something. No, I said a plurality of powers, not a plurality of persons. Because that would be polytheism. I do not believe in polytheism before people start throwing cabbage. But between verse 1 and verse 2 of Bereshit, there is a gap of unknown time that occurs. And in verse 2 it says, The earth, or the dry ground, came to be Hayah, Hayah, To be, to exist, or to become. To become. So, this actually is used 67 times in the scriptures, and it means to become. And it's connected to the word fall out or to fall down. Fall out or to fall down. And the word and means that something happened in Genesis 1 between verse 1 and verse 2, in which the dry ground actually became empty and void. Because these two words in the Hebrew are the Hebrew words tohu, you can look at them in your own time, and bahu. Without form, the land becomes wasteful. It's laid waste. It becomes a desert. It becomes a wilderness. It came to destruction. It became empty. So the word bahu in the Hebrew means something became waste. It became desolate. Empty. Very similar to the meaning of tohu. Tohu. It says the earth became a wilderness, a desert, or a wasteland. Something made it a wasteland. A darkness. In the Hebrew, chosek, chosek. It became a dark place, or the earth became hid in darkness. It means misery, ignorance, or even sorrow. So the earth became a wasteland and ignorance or the earth came to be hidden and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Or in the Hebrew, the word there is techum, the abyss, the waters and the surging waters covered the earth. What? I thought that was in Genesis 6. So this indicates that a flood that covered the whole earth back at the prior creation. Two floods 
in Scripture. Two floods in Scripture. Look at Genesis 1 verse 22. And Elohim blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply and refill the Hebrew word there is malay, refill the ma'im, the water of the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. In verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1, And Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish. Malay, Malay, the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 of Genesis chapter um, 1, verse 28, Malay means to refill, replenish what? Something that already was. A prior creation. Because Malay, spelt in the Hebrew, Mem Lamed Aleph, is talking about remaking, not creating. It's remaking something that was already created. In the beginning, meaning in dateless past, Elohim created the heavens and dry ground. But something happened. What happened? Well, we're going to find out in Ezekiel's fifth vision what happened. Something happened and the earth, dry ground, became a desert, a wasteland, and it was hidden in darkness. Then darkness was upon the face of the earth, on the face of the deep or the waters or the abyss, and the surging waters came and covered the whole earth. Yahweh sent a flood to destroy and completely wipe out everything upon it. Floods always come because of judgment. Remember some of those um, animated um, movies nowadays, and they've got all of this Greek mythology, the centenar, the, you know, the horse with the human. Where does all this come from? This is... When Satan rebelled against Yahweh and he destroyed the laws of Kilayim, the laws of mixing. You shall not sow your vineyard with two diverse species. You shall not wear wool and linen. And what you see in Greek mythology is the consequence of the fifth vision that Ezekiel gets to communicate to us. Because all of that Greek mythology comes from somewhere. It's a perversion of the truth. So, as we now ponder Ezekiel 28, we're each even going to find that the atoning sacrifice actually occurred before the foundation of the world. Doesn't it say that in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8? In fact, the Christian assertion that sin was forgiven on the cross is not supported by Bible texts. What? So isn't it funny how so many times we propagate things, but maybe it's actually not written in the text? Because what actually happened at the tree? Was it the atoning sacrifice? Or was it that Yahushua conquered death? That's what he did at the tree. He conquered death. Salvation actually occurred the moment the lamb was slain. When did that happen? Before at the foundation of the earth. But death was conquered at death and resurrection. But the actual salvation that you and I are participants of, what you think nobody could have salvation before the tree? But so Moses, Daniel, the prophets, they're all... No! Yahweh already from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, he put 
his work into the creation. And that work of redemption, of course, we know was his son. Salvation occurred the moment the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. In Ezekiel 28, turn there now, we find that Satan was some sort of counselor or consort of Yahuwah in the distant past. In the distant past. Ezekiel 28, we're jumping on the 11th verse. And the word of Yahweh came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation to the sovereign, the king of Saul. And you shall say to him, Thus says the master Yahweh, You were sealing up a pattern complete in wisdom and perfect in loveliness. You were in Eden, the garden of Elohim. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, topaz, diamond, beryl, shoham and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald and gold. The workmanship of your settings and the mountings was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub that covered. That's a key phrase. In the Hebrew, Satan is described, before he was Satan, he was actually, Satan just means he, was an, he became an adversary. It's not his name. He became an adversary. But at this point, he is not an adversary. He is, in fact, Halel. That's his name, Halel. And he is described as the Moshiach, Cheruv Mesukah. He was the Messiah, the anointed cherub that would bring the other angels into the tabernacle, Mesukah, Sukkah, the tabernacle of Yahuwah. He had the high priest's breastplate, which was a picture of the seraphatic tree, which emanated the ten stones of Yahuwah's full Tifereth glory. He would go into the throne room and Yahuwah would radiate his Tifereth onto the breastplate of Hael and then he would come out and he would radiate that glory onto all of the heavenly Malachim and then that would draw them to the Mashiach, he was the Mashiach, the Messiah, and draw them into the canopy, the tabernacle, the sukkah of Yahuwah. Satan, before he was Satan, Halel was the Messiah, the cherub that brought everybody in to the tabernacle of Yahuwah. How did you and I, were we aliens and foreigners and strangers to Yahuwah? Until what happened? Until the Messiah, through his sacrifice, enables us to come close to Yahuwah and tabernacle with him. Do you see what our spiritual war is? Because somebody used to have that position who no longer has that position. And now he's not Halel, he is an adversary or the Satan. And I placed you, you were set apart on the mountain of Elohim. You walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the greatness of your trade or trafficking, he is a trader and a trafficker of men's souls. He's trading and trafficking. You became filled with violence within, and you sinned. So I thrust you from the mountain of Elohim, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your loveliness. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I threw you on the earth. I laid you before sovereigns to look at you. You profaned your set-apart places by your crookedness by the unrighteousness of your trading. Therefore, I brought forth fire from your midst. It has devoured you and I turned you to 
ashes upon the earth before the eyes of all who see you. All who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. Waste you shall be and cease to be forever. You see, there are many Elohim. But there is only one Yahweh creator Elohim. Because an Elohim in the Hebrew is just a disembodied spirit. We have spiritual warfare going on. Between Yahweh and the gods. The disembodied spirits. These rulers. These powers in the heavens are divine beings. What does that mean? They were created by the creator as disembodied spirits. And they were once part of Yahweh's divine counsel. His consorts. He would seek counsel from them. And they had a high priest. In the Hebrew, a Kohen Haggadal. A high priest or chief counselor over them. It was a pantheon of divine beings who administered the affairs of the whole cosmos. Psalm 82. It is written, Elohim has taken his place in the divine El Council. In the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. Some people will take great offense at what I've said, but Psalm 82 is clear as clear can be. The Elohim is in the midst of the Elohim. The creator, and there is only one creator Elohim, was in the midst of his created disembodied spirits that were counselors to him, his consorts, and one of them was a Kohen Haggadal, a high priest who wore a a breastplate. You see, the divine council actually operates on a cosmic level, governing the universe under the rulership of Yahuwah, the one true living creator. It's called plural monotheism. We're not talking polytheism here. Plural, the echad, Hebrew word there for one, it's a compound unity. So I do not believe like, um, for instance, Islam believes in singular monotheism. Christianity believes in a triunity. And Judaism believes in singular monotheism. The Bible teaches Plural monotheism. There is only one Elohim, but he is, there is a plurality of power. What, is, what does Yahushua say? My father is greater than I am. A plurality of power in a compound unity. We don't have to make up Greco-Roman stuff and import it into our faith and come up with a triunity when the Bible already tells us in Deuteronomy 6.4 what the compound unity is. Shema Israel, Yahuwah Elohino, Yahuwah Echad. A compound plural one. It's called plural monotheism. This gets rid of the kingdom of the cults. This gets rid of all of those door knockers. Because you're dealing now with the Bible, not man's pagan traditions, and you're not dealing with the theories of men. We know that there was a fall from within this divine council in the heavens, Ezekiel 28 and Revelation 12.4. One third of these Malachim angels fell with the adversary, Satan, with Halel, to influence the nations, they became the gods of the nations. Don't think that, that um, Allah is not a Elohim, a god. Don't think that these, mid, these Near Eastern deities, that all the, the Vishnu and all these other Elohim, that they're, they're, they're a figment of man's imagination. No, they are real Elohim. They're not the creator. They are fallen, disembodied spirits that influence the souls and hearts of men. But they are powerless because they are fallen and in rebellion against their creator. 
But it's a reality. People all oh, no, no, they are really Elohim. And that is why our world has come under their influence. Look at our Western culture. America in the past 50 years has imported all of these Elohim. You go to 7 and 11, you go to the airport for crying out loud. And you go in to buy a, a filtered water. And what do you get? There's sometimes there's tiki dolls, there's little Buddhas, there's um, the ones you stab and whatnot. What are they called? Yeah. You see, because as we've opened up the floodgates and let in all of those from the nations, what did they bring with them? Their bloody idols, didn't they? They brought their gods with them. And now... It's a free-for-all except for one. They will not let you speak of the one living creator, Yahuwah. But you can talk about all of their Elohim. All of their fallen Elohim disembodied. Oh, that's fine. That's cool. That's hip. But the moment you start speaking about the Bible, the moment you start speaking about the true, one true living creator and the plurality compound unity that comes through the glory of his son, kiss the son if you know his name as it is written in the word. Oh, then there is animosity, isn't there? Zero tolerance from the people that preach tolerance. Zero tolerance. We actually, as believers, are the most tolerant because we believe that the Bible can, through the Ruach HaKodesh, change anybody and bring them into the faith, regardless of where they come from, because we've experienced it, right? Yahuwah makes decisions... And his council of Elohim responds. On an earthly plane, they govern Israel and the nations. And on an individual plane, either guiding and protecting the righteous believer or accusing and hounding man, leading him astray and always into barrenness. Always into barrenness. But look at our text in Ezekiel 28. If Hillel later known as Satan or Satan has a breastplate, it means that Satan is a high priest of some religion. He must oversee some kind of religious system or a religious council because a breastplate needs a high priest, does it not? But then a sacrifice also needs a high priest, doesn't it? And a sacrifice, just follow me if you can in my train of thinking, and a sacrifice that occurred from the foundation of the world would need a high priest prior to the creation account. Revelation 13.8, Yahushua, the slain lamb from the foundation of the world. Now, the title, the king of Tyre, a metaphor, as we can now see for Satan in Ezekiel 28, in the Hebrew, Moshiach Cheruv Mesukah. The Messiah, who's a Cheruv, a cherub, that brings people into the Sukkah, the tabernacle of Yahuwah. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth in the English. And I have set thee so. Thou wast set upon the holy mountain of Elohim. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. But the presence of the breastplate, as we have just read, with all of the ten stones, and the throne qualifies what? The presence of the breastplate and the throne in the text qualifies the title Moshiach Malki Kohen Hagadol Cheruv Mesukah. That is a mouthful for those of you that are unfamiliar with Hebrew. But what it does mean is the anointed high priest king cherub of the sukkah. 
That was Halel's title. Satan's title before he rebelled against Yahuwah was the anointed high priest king, cherub of the tabernacle. That's the reality of what we are dealing with today. That powerful position of a disembodied spirit is now the enemy of the gospel. The enemy of you and me. And ultimately the enemy of Yahuwah. This is the Bible's title for Halel. Who later became an adversary. A Satan. Because that's all the adversary means. A Satan. He became a Satan. I'm just going to throw this out there. Okay. I'm just going to ask you the question. Is it possible, is it possible that Satan, wearing the Malkitzedic breastplate, sacrificed the son of Yahuwah in pride and rebellion as seen in Ezekiel's fifth vision and scroll, Ezekiel 28, a vision from the foundation of the world? Is it possible? It's going to be a lot for you to think about. Because that, if that was so, then that would make Yahushua the first and the last Malkitzedic sacrifice. As well as the last Malkitzedic Kohen Haggadal high priest who crushed the first Malkitzedic high priest. And now we understand the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's a lot to think about. This is the kind of thing that I think about late at night. Did the prince of this world, Halel, later known as the adversary, the Satan, did the prince of this world know what Yahweh would be able to accomplish through this slaying of the lamb? Well, Paul tells us this, but we speak of the wisdom of Yahweh is a mystery. Even the mysterious wisdom which Yahweh ordained when? When did he ordain it? Before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it. They would not have crucified the master of glory. That's what I love about the word of Yahweh. You can just start to string all of the Bible passages together and you can get an amazing vision. Ezekiel 28 verse 15 and 17. You should also read in your own time Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3. We were perfect. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. By the multitude of your traffic, by the multitude of your trade, they filled the midst of you with violence. And you have sinned. Therefore I have cast you as a profane one out of the mountain of Elohim and I have destroyed you, O covering Heruv, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I have cast you to the ground. I have laid you before kings that they may gaze upon you. This is a proclamation against the king of Tyre, which we now know is a metaphor for the Satan. The king of Tyre actually sacked Jerusalem. He trafficked in Jerusalem's gold in Tyre, and he had two children. Anybody know who his children were? Jezebel and Athaliah. You see, right now, Yahweh is going to call out the heart of man. Seven things. I'm like, 
Seven things. Yahweh is going to call out the heart of man. There are seven. How many? Seven demonic trading or trafficking floors or ports into your heart. You know when people get caught up in sexual sin or drugs or what does it do? It opens a portal right into your very heart. And once you open up that portal, man, it is hard to close that thing down. The only way you can truly get it closed down is through the atoning blood of Yahusha, repenting, making restitution and not doing it again. Not just saying, oh, I accept the Lord and, you know, and then you keep on sinning. No, that's not going to cut it. The only way you can shut down those trafficking ports and portals is by repentance, confession, repentance, restitution, and walking in Kedushah, holiness, holiness, sanctified, that is profane, I'm going to stay over here, that is profane, I'm going to stay over here. Seven times the heart is called out because there are seven demonic trafficking or trading floors or ports because the heart is full of idols. And idols prevent people from seeing the freedom and blessings that they really had because sin distorts truth. Doesn't it? Sin distorts truth. Number one. The king of Tyre. The king of Tyre. Some people are just given to what? Money. Trading up. Greed. Covetousness. That port of envy. Because a disgruntled heart quickly leads to covetousness. And that can trigger what? Somebody that's covetousness, that has covetousness, they're They're bitter. Because you've got what they want. That person's got what... They become bitter. A perceived lack always blames others. Right? Isn't that what Hillary Clinton's all about? Not to get political on you, but really, isn't it? Well, look what they've got. You should have it. Yeah, that's right. I should know. Get a job. Right? A perceived lack blames others. It's the error of presumption. You thought something was one way, or it should have been one way, but it wasn't, was it? So you were triggered, and now you're upset. You've got to watch out for number one, that trafficking trade of covetousness and greed. That was the king of Tyre. Number two, we've got Jezebel. Jezebel. The king of Tyre's daughter. This is false spirituality. You ever met those people and they're just like, really? False spirituality and false humility. Jezebel, she finds out what you need and puts herself in that place. What do you need? I'll be that person to you. It's spiritual reality, those of you that are familiar with Greek mythology, it's spiritual reality is echo. You ever read about echo in Greek mythology? I mean, that's where we get the word from. Echo mirrored. You see, it's spiritual reality is echo, and it's actually echo personality disorder, mirroring or the chameleon effect. Now, these are always pseudo-spiritual people, but really, they just fear abandonment. They fear abandonment because if they're abandoned, they've got nobody to mirror. And then they're left to look at themselves, and there is nothing more frightening in the world at looking in at yourself if you don't know who you really are. Echo personality disorder often comes under the veil of the spirit of Jezebel because Jezebel is usually a social 
butterfly, constantly flitting from group to group to group, person to person, being different things to different people, as required for the friendship, quote, unquote. Now, in Greek mythology, Echo was the lover of Narcissus. Right? Now you're starting to track with me. You see, Echo in Greek mythology was the lover of Narcissus. And Echo had many friends in the form of other forest nymphs. As we would call them today, sisters. Oh, sister. Oh, sister. Oh, sister. Watch out. Watch out. That could be Echo personality disorder, Jezebel trying to get into your very, very midst. This is a spiritual reality, and we see it all the time. We've got to be careful. Sadly, Jezebel's roots relate back to the lack of self-worth and an accompanying fear of rejection, abandonment, and loss resulting in feeling unacceptable to others. That's the root. That's the root. Number three on this trafficking trading port is Athalia, the other daughter of the king of Tyre. What does she do? She goes after the king's seed. The king's seed. Hatred. Absolute hatred. Hatred of the believer. Have you ever met someone that just gets triggered by your faith? You could be sitting in a coffee shop reading the Bible and they're triggered because you've got the Bible with you. They're triggered. The very mention of Yahusha, the very mention of the Savior, triggered. Because Satan traded on the DNA of knowledge and inheritance of seed and seed that was going to inherit heaven you see revelation comes as sound it comes as light and it comes through vibration revelation comes through sound Light and vibration, and only DNA, listen, only DNA carries sound, light, and vibration at that level of divinity. Only DNA, and angels couldn't trade and inherit this. So what did Halel, Satan, do? He offered it to them on the trading floors of heaven. Why do you think that people want to access your children's DNA from the moment they come out, before they even come out of the mother's womb? Why do you think, if there's one thing that's going to cause a split or adversity between um, a husband and a wife, is people are going to be arguing over the DNA of the seed. You'll see it in families. One family here, another side of the family there. And it's like, well, hang on, let the parents parent. But everyone he wants to get involved because it's about the seed's DNA. Satan traffics in the DNA. He offered it up on the trading floor. Why do you think that we get hassled so much when we try to raise our children biblically? They want to do it to your kids' food. They want to put it in their lunch milk. They want to do it at the doctor's. They want to do it with their heel prick. They want to get mama with the vaccinations. They're going to get that DNA. They're going to try and corrupt that DNA for the rest of your seed's life. And if they don't get the DNA, then they're going to try and come in through the lights and affect your child's vision. And then if they can't get through the vision, they're going to go through the vibrations. They're going to try and come in through the sound waves. They're going to try and affect your child's hearing. And you see it. What's one of the first tests they do? And do you know what they did with my, with my firstborn Moshe? 
They wanted to take him off into another room and test his hearing without me. I'm like, no, that's my son. I'm coming along. Well, no, no, so he'll, no, no, that's my kid. You could switch kids on me. I don't know what you're going to, and that's what they wanted to do. And I'm the one causing a problem. I, no. Don't try and kidnap my child. That means take my child without my permission to do something that I haven't said that I agree to. Right? Trafficking and trading in DNA. That is Satan's realm. You understand why now it brings such division in families, don't you? You're like, why are you so upset just because I didn't want to do this and that? It's my kid. You go do what you want with your kid. And we compare notes when they're 18, right? Really? Really? It is what it is. Cain, of course, goes after the inheritance. The inheritance is the land, looking to take your assigned territory or to steal the promised land from the sons of Joseph. And five, Apollon, Apollon just won't testify to the gospel. They may know the Bible, they may teach the Torah, but they deny the gospel of Yahusha and won't testify to the son of Yah, and they end up denying him. I've seen it so many times, especially in the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement, leading countless many astray. We have to mark them and then alienate them, truly. And finally, number six, well, didn't I say seven? No, so not finally. Delilah is number six. Now, you've got to be careful of Delilah because Delilah operates in seduction, seduction through words or even the flesh and it can be both can be both male and female so a dude could be delilah right half truths always speaking half truths to control and manipulate to accomplish its goal a delilah is not faithful in relationships whatsoever the spirit has no true allegiances or faithfulness it's not looking for friendship Delilah is looking for control. It's sent to cause contention, dissension, confusion, and discord. The Delilah spirit will set one person or friend against another, always using murmurings, gossip, mixed with a bit of truth to achieve their preeminence and purpose. Delilah is a traitor. A traitor. And finally, number seven, Leviathan, we touched on last week, a twister of words and sower of discord. It's pretty self-explanatory. Beware of their tenacity because, you know, it's a crock with a lock. I mean, literally, once that jaw's locked onto something, they just won't, like, let it go. Let it go. It's okay. Go do your own thing. But they just can't let it go. Let it go. You don't like it? Go build and create what you want to do. But they can't let it go. Isaiah tells us that Satan plotted to overthrow Elohim himself. Isaiah 14, it says this, and also Obadiah in the fourth verse. And you sayest in your heart, I will ascend into the heavens above the stars of El. Will I exalt my throne? I will sit upon the mount of meeting. In the uttermost parts of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like Elion. And as a result of this rebellion, we know that there is an ongoing war in the heavens. Revelation tells us in the 12th chapter and the 7th verse. Daniel tells us in the 10th chapter, one third of the Malachim, one third of the angels actually ended up following Halel, the Satan, his rebellion. And we're now in the midst of this rebellion. And this isn't something in just eternity past. 
This is a spiritual reality that we're confronted with. And we spoke about it earlier. In the end of the days, people are going to become more offended and upset with each other. They'll actually hate one another. People getting offended left, right, and senseless. Offenses abound. We are engaged in this war, just as Daniel was engaged in this war in the 10th chapter. This is a spiritual warfare. This Malkitzedic covenant that you and I have come to the understanding of is designed to ready us because things are going to radically shift. When? When are they going to radically shift? When the adversary, the Satan, is cast out of heaven, Isaiah 14, 12, Ezekiel 28, 16, Revelation 12, 9, and Luke 10, 18. It's going to happen. The tremors that we're all experiencing right now in our life, we all are. Let's be true. Let's be real. Oh, my life is perfect. Oh, go away. No, it's not. None of your lives are bloody perfect. We're all experiencing. Oh, mine is. No, sod off. No, it's not. Really. Sod is a piece of mud, by the way. That's what I'm talking about, okay? In case somebody's like, oh my goodness, he said that. It depends how you view it. All right, anyway. um, We're all experiencing these tremors today because it's birthing pains to prepare us for war against men and devils. And sometimes you can barely tell the difference, can you? But going back to Genesis... Between verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis, a gap of unknown time does appear, does it not? Do you see that, or am I the only cray-cray one? Because I see that. In verse 2, it says, The earth, dry ground, came to be, to be, to exist, to become. But with the first flood, between verses 1 and 2, I believe that Yahweh destroyed... And you don't have to believe what I believe. And this is the thing. It's like we've all got to be on the same page. No, let's be on the same page about the things that matter. If you don't believe that Yahusha died, that he was buried in the ground for three days, that he rose from the dead, and that he sits on the right hand of the Father, at the right hand of the Father, and that salvation comes alone by faith in the blood of Messiah... Yes, we got a problem. I don't want a fellowship with you. But if I believe that there were two floods and you believe there were three, give me a break. Arguments abound, contentions and divisions. What are the important things? Proclaim, what are you looking at? Oh, okay. I thought, I'm glad you're looking at Shem, not me, because I'm wondering, wow, she's making eyes at me. I know I'm a babe, but that's just ridiculous. (laughs) Throwing me off here, please. I know your son's gorgeous, but it's like really interrupting the whole thing. But maybe it'll work in my favor because my wife's looking at me kind of like, I like it. All right, let's wrap this thing up and get home. Where were we? Floods, floods, thank you, floods, yes, floods. But with the first flood between verse 1 and 2 of Genesis, I believe Yahweh destroyed everything because of the fall that we see in Ezekiel 28. Genesis 1, 1, and then we have the gap between, between Genesis 1, 2. To make the earth, he had to originally, we see now, something happened. The earth was not originally created as a wasteland. That would be ridiculous. In Bereshit, Genesis 1, you can see, and Elohim made, not created, but Elohim made. Well, that's different. Which is a completely different word than bara. Because bara 
is him creating. But he made, which means he's renewing something. But in verse 1, he created, bara, but then he renewed or he made, which is an idea of taking something that was, that maybe it had been destroyed, but then you renewed it. First he makes, creates, and then he renews that which was already created or made. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23. Jeremiah 4, verse 23. I looked at the earth and I saw that it was formless and empty. And the heavens, they had no light. I looked at the mountains and saw they shook. And all the hills were swaying. Verse 25. I looked and I saw there was... Huh? No man. Well, this can't be talking about Noah then, can it? I looked and I saw that there was no man. Nope, there was, Noah wasn't around at this point. Neither was Shem, neither was Japheth, none of them. They weren't around. Because there was no man. This verse cannot be talking about Noah's flood, the second flood, because he said, I saw no man. Look at Jeremiah 4, verse 25. And all the birds in the heaven had fled. I looked and saw the garden land was a wilderness. So there was a garden that existed before the Garden of Eden. I call it Satan's garden, Satan's playground. There was a garden upon the earth. And he says, I looked and I saw the garden became a wilderness, verse 26. And all its cities were broken down at the presence of Yahuwah by his burning displeasure. There were cities upon the earth. It's not written anywhere in the Bible texts, that Adam was the first inhabitant of the earth. We presume that, but it's not written anywhere in the Bible text. That's been read into the text. That's eisegesis. There were inhabitants upon the earth before Adam because there were cities that were broken down at the presence of Yahuwah. Where, what does Yahusha tell us about those disembodied spirits? Where do they like to live? Where do they like to go? If you're not careful and you clean your house, one of them will go out. And, and how many will he bring back? Yeah, see, they like to live in houses. Jeremiah 4 verse 27. For thus says Yahuwah, all the earth shall be a ruin, but I shall not make a complete end. On account of this, her, let the earth mourn, the heavens above be dark. Darkness was upon the deep. Hebrew word there, chosek. Ignorance it means. Because I have spoken, because I have purposed and shall not relent nor do I turn back from it. The earth was a garden. There were cities. But Yahweh destroyed them because of his displeasure. There was no man upon the earth. Look at Psalm 24 verse 2. You'll find this Hebrew word, nachar. It's floods, plural. Not flood, singular. Psalm 24, verse 2. You'll find that same Hebrew word, nachar, in Psalm 93, verse 3. How many floods? Floods, plural. You'll find it in Psalm 98, verse 8. That Hebrew word, nachar, more than one flood. There were two floods in Scripture. There was a rebellion in the heavens. Satan came down and he mixed and intermixed with the prior creation. 
They built houses and those Elohim, these disembodied spirits, they lived in the houses, they cohabited with animals, and that's where you get the centaur, the mitador, all of these Greek mythological animals that you see in the movies now that come from Greek mythology, the horse with the human head on it. Why? Because Satan was in rebellion against Yahweh's Torah that is eternal, and Yahweh says you shall not violate the laws of Kilayim, the laws of mixing. You shall not. So Satan did, and it became such an abomination that Yahweh wiped it all out with a flood. That's what happened to the dinosaurs. I remember having a barbecue around my house, <laughs> and this guy was like, well, I don't believe in dinosaurs. I was like, well, Natural History Museum in England's pretty convincing. <laughs> but, you know... We didn't break fellowship over it, you know. You don't have to believe in dinosaurs. I mean, they did a good job in the museum in London, though, let me tell you. Oh, dear. Look at Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from the heavens, O Halel. That's his name before the fall. Halel, son of the morning. In the Hebrew, Ben Shachar. Ben Shachar. You have been cut down to the ground, you who laid low the Gentiles, for you have said in your heart, let me go up into the heavens. Let me raise my throne above the stars of El, and let me sit in the mount of meeting on the sides of the north. Where did Halel want to sit? Why? What piece of furniture in the Mishkan, later the tabernacle, was on the sides of the north? What piece of furniture? What is the problem, Satan? Who are you after, Satan? Who's got your goat, Satan, that you just are so vexed by that powerful, powerful Elohim? On the northernmost piece of furniture in the heavenly temple, it had a beautiful crown all around it. It was the showbread and it belongs to the lamb. It belongs to the lamb, the table of showbread. Satan was on a mission to take out the lamb. He's always been on a mission to take out the lamb. That's why he set in the northernmost part. Let me go up above the heights of the clouds. Let me be like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the sides of the pit. Those who see you, they shall stare at you and ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook reins and kingdoms? Now look at him, who made the world as a wilderness. And destroyed its cities who would not open the houses of his prisoners. All the sovereigns, the kings of the Gentiles, all of them were laid in esteem. Everyone in his own house. But you have been thrown from your grave like an abominable branch. Like the garment of those who are slain. Like an abominable branch. The remez there is a pierced branch. Like the garment of those who were slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse. Ezekiel's fifth vision gives us a window into the spiritual warfare. The things that were happening in Jerusalem that caused the destruction upon them. That Babylon came down into Jerusalem and now we found ourselves thousands of years later in Babylon the Great, the harlot of harlots. And we are up against the same thing. Elohim's infiltrating our culture. Satan trying to steal your seeds, DNA. Trying to poke you and prod you and put you in the 
government reprogram education systems to mess with your kids' vision, mind, and hearing. From the get-go, they've got plans for your seed, for your DNA. And if they can't get it, then they'll bombard your senses, your vision, your hearing, and your very understanding. They'll shoot you up with everything. They'll put blooming... What's that stuff they do? The people have cancer. What's that thing they do? Chemo, which is really they used in the trenches in World War I. It's mustard gas. It's a nerve agent. Kills absolutely everything. And then it's your immune system that was created by Yahweh that finally kicks back in and heals you. We've got to learn how to live. And our war is real and it's not always with flesh and blood, but the principalities that affect the person. It's that these people become influenced and deceived by entities and others affected by the one of these seven trading floors or trafficking ports. And they can take out a whole fleet of brethren. A whole fleet can be wiped out before you. Why? Because they let these trading ports become docked in their life. And they didn't even see it coming. We have got to be wise if we're going to endure. And my prayer for all of you is that you would finish well. And I pray you pray the same for me. Because Yahweh is with us. But we have to understand the present reality of our situation, do we not? This vision, this fifth vision is power-packed. Ezekiel 28. Mind bomb to me. And we're going to spend a few weeks in it because there is much, much more to unpack. My apologies about the broadcast um, boo-boo, but we'll figure it out. We still are here and we're still able to be able to receive and be blessed. So brother Don, come up and give us a few words and I'll close out.